Say amen, say oh me. Isn't that right? <laughs> First Corinthians 9, in verse 24. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Verse 25, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it for to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Verse 26, Therefore I run, thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. In verse 27, But I discipline my body, everybody say my body, and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Notice that in verse 26 is a key verse. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Let's go right to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Second Timothy four. Second Timothy four, and we're going to read in verse six. And these are some of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's last words to his son, the faith, Timothy. And in Second Timothy four six, it says, "For I am already being poured out as a drink offering." And notice, the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7, key verse for tonight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Notice that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8. Finally, therefore, there is laid up a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And notice, not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. But notice verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen? You guys ready tonight? You ready to receive the word of God tonight? If you're taking notes tonight, the title of my message is The Good Fight. The Good Fight. Everybody say The Good Fight. A little bit louder. The Good Fight. You guys are going to be responders tonight, aren't you, to the Word of God. So we're going to talk about the good fight. And as some introduction tonight to what we're talking about, let's look back over at 1 Corinthians 9, and we'll, we'll stop there. and We'll kind of introduce what we're going to talk about tonight. 1 Corinthians 9, we're going to park there. So tonight we're talking about the good fight and something that um, has been on my heart recently is, I know last week we talked about we are all witnesses. And uh, that kind of came out of, i just been reading the first part of the book of Acts and that message just came out of the first part of the book of Acts. And this message came out of reading First and Second Timothy recently in my own personal study time. And so... Uh, this message comes out of First and Second Timothy specifically, and um, the thing about Timothy is this, because we're talking about the good fight tonight. The thing about Timothy is this: Timothy was a young man, 
and Paul was his spiritual father, and Timothy was in charge of a church in Ephesus, and he was the senior pastor, and he was only probably 20 or 30 years old when he took over being the pastor of this church at Ephesus. And a lot of people say the church at Ephesus, or the Ephesian church, was a church of 30,000 members in that day. That's a massive church, especially in those times because their cities weren't as big as our cities are today. A 30,000-member church would be like a 3-million-member church in our day. And Timothy was a young man favored by God, and he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so uh, Paul, the apostle, writes to Timothy, a son in the faith, and he writes to him in First and Second Timothy. And it's not just for... First and Second Timothy is not just for people that are in the ministry. He's writing to young people, specifically a young man, but it, it's good for all young people to read First and Second Timothy because he's writing to a young person who is favored by God. You're awful quiet already. He's writing to a young person who is favored by God, which all of you in here that you're in here tonight, you are favored by God just like Timothy was favored by God. And Paul is writing to Timothy, a young man in the faith who was favored. Some would call sheltered, but God would call favored. And he was a favored young man. And Paul wrote to Timothy in First and Second Timothy and notice God's hand was on Timothy's life. God's hand is on your life. Do you realize that, young person? God's hand is on your life, not just Timothy's life, not just Pastor Jacob's life, not just Dr. Dufresne's life. God's hand is on your life, and notice at a young age to do great things for God. You know, in First and Second Timothy, we read the same passage where he says, Timothy, you need to be an example to all believers. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. Meaning you can be young and you can be an example to not just your church family, but to your whole community, even when you're young. You can be an example of what God can do in your life at a young age. Do you guys believe it tonight already? And so First and Second Timothy is written to a young man who was favored by God. God's hand was on his life. And notice we could take some advice from the Apostle Paul. He was a father in the faith. And he was writing to a young person. And notice this, over and over again, Paul uses the example or the word picture that the Christian life is like two different things. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible that the, it says the Christian life is like, and it uses examples or word pictures of that day so they know what it meant. But notice, Paul over and over again, and then specifically in First and Second Timothy says that the Christian life is like two things. It's like a race, and it's like a fight. Y'all here tonight, because <laughs> we go preach. It's like a race, and it's like a fight. And notice, the whole example or word picture of a race in a fight is not a passive example. So many people in their Christian life are so passive and they're wondering why they walk in defeat. They're wondering why they're depressed. They're wondering why the devil beats them up. They're wondering why they never do anything good for God. It's because they're living a passive, inactive Christian walk. And the Christian life is not passive, it's active. And notice he says the Christian life is like a race and it's like a fight. Meaning you got to do something with it. And notice in 1 Corinthians 9, and we're going to read it later, 
In 1 Corinthians 9 and Ephesians 6, it alludes to this in all over 1 and 2 Timothy. He talks about the Christian being an athlete and the Christian being a soldier. And he's not talking physically about you being an athlete and a, and a soldier, but spiritually being an athlete and being a soldier. And it was very familiar in that culture and then even to the culture today that we live in. But realize in that culture, they were around Greece. And we know the Olympics started in Greece and around that area. And they would have foot races, as we know today in the Olympics. And they raced each other even all those many years ago. So they knew that word picture and example of an athlete in a race. And notice he says, they run for a perishable crown. Why? Because in those days in the Olympics... They gave them not a gold medal, but a crown made out of leaves. Notice it said a perishable crown. One that's not going to last. But he said, notice we run for a crown that's imperishable because it's from God. Because the race that we run is not physical, it's spiritual. And the fight that we fight is not physical, it's spiritual. And notice they knew what a soldier was because uh, a lot of the culture of that day, Rome was running really the known world at that time, and they knew what a Roman soldier would look like. And notice he gives two examples to Timothy, a young person specifically. Are you still here tonight? Did you go to sleep? Is a race in a fight is what the Christian life is like. And notice it is an active passionate example of what the Christian life is like. Not a passive example. He didn't give the example of a couch potato, somebody taking a nap, somebody playing video games, somebody just goofing off. Notice he said, it's like a race and it's like a fight. (laughs) There's two things you need to know about this is Paul said the Christian life is like a race, it's like a fight. First of all, the Christian life is like a race, and this is why it's like a race, because if you're going to finish what God has called you to do, you're going to have to throw yourself in it 100% just like you were running a race. How many know if you don't run 100% in the race you're running physically, and Cone knows what I'm talking about because he's ran many races with track and cross country, if you don't run as hard as you can, you're not going to win. You're not going to finish. And it's the same thing with the Christian life. Paul gives example of a race because if you don't throw yourself into this life 100%, you're not getting anything out of it. There's so many Christian people that don't get it. They're like, why am I walking in defeat? Why am I not doing anything from God? I don't get it. Why are these other people progressing and I'm not? Because you're only giving 50%. You're only giving 20%, 75%. Notice, but you've got to throw yourself into it 100%. Notice it says, if you want to win the race, if you want to win the race, if you want to finish the race, you're going to have to run full strength, full power, 100%. So if you want to finish what God has called you to do, you're going to have to give him 100%. Notice you got a will and God's got a will. And he won't override your will. Even though he's trying to give you 100% of himself, he can't give you 100% of himself if you won't give him 100% of yourself. Y'all still here. (laughs) So notice two things about that. With the example of the race, if you don't run 100% and throw yourself in it, you're not going to finish. 
But also this, he gives the example of a soldier or a boxer or a fighter, which means that there will be opposition and persecution if you want to do anything for God. <laughs> See, some people don't tell people that when they get saved. They, don't, they just act like the rest of their life is going to be kittens and butterflies, but it's not. <laughs> Jesus will be kittens and butterflies, but that doesn't mean your life will be kittens and butterflies. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Because the Word of God says storms of life, opposition, persecution, suffering, whatever you want to call it, it's going to come to the believer and the unbeliever alike. But the difference is we got Jesus and they don't. So that means that when something happens to them, they can't overcome it because they don't have Jesus. But when something happens to us, we have Jesus so we overcome and have the victory. But a fight's coming to both people. Realize you will face opposition and persecution if you want to do anything for God. And here's something to know. Okay. Now, a lot of people think this. Sometimes people will think this because they've been taught wrong. If you're going through stuff in your life and you're being opposed and there's opposition and it feels like everything's breaking loose in your life, a lot of people will say it's because you have a sin problem. Not necessarily. Maybe it's because you're doing something right, not because you're doing something wrong. Now, you can get that from doing something wrong, too. I'm not saying you can't. But realize, maybe it's because you're doing something right, and the enemy does not like it. He doesn't like it. And notice, he's going to put more pressure on the people that actually want to do something for God than the people that are not. So if you're facing more opposition, be joyful about it. Don't be depressed about it because that re- you've got to realize the enemy is intimidated that you're actually going to do something with your life. So realize this. The people who want to do more for God will face more opposition. All of you young people, I'm just giving you a heads up because some people don't tell you this. But realize this. The more you want to do for God, All of you in here that really want to fulfill God's will for your life and do everything he's called you to do, you will face more opposition than the person that just comes to church and is just winging it. Why? Because the devil's intimidated of you and not of that person. Because they're already not doing anything. He doesn't have to help them. (laughs) But some people don't tell people that when they get saved. They just say, you know, when you give Jesus your life, you're forgiven, and the rest of your life is just going to be awesome. It's just going to be like... You know, no pressure, no opposition, nothing bad's going to happen. There's not going to be any persecution, no suffering. Nothing is going to come against you. It's just going to be, you know, skipping in the field. It's not. (laughs) It's going to get better. (laughs) I got good news tonight. So the more you want to do for God, the more opposition you'll face. Just get used to it. (laughs) What's the other option? do nothing with your life? I mean, you go, you go get beat up by the devil either way, or the devil's going to try to beat you up, but at least do something with your life worthwhile. <laughs> Listen to this. Every great man and woman of God has faced a fight in opposition, but they succeeded because they didn't quit. I'm going to read that again. Listen to me, young person. Every great man and woman of God has faced a fight in opposition, but they succeeded, notice, because they didn't quit. 
you need to understand that because like I said earlier sometimes people don't tell you that and then when they get into this thing they're facing opposition and they don't know what's going on so they end up quitting it's just part of it and you know the thing is sometimes you can see a great woman or man of God and think because they don't really talk about those things all the time that their life is just awesome and there's no persecution there's no opposition but sometimes you have no idea what is going on in a great man and woman of God's life because they don't tell you everything and they don't need to tell you everything because if they're mature enough they handle it by themselves but sometimes you could get the illusion because they don't bring up their tests and trials all the time that you know their life is just perfect and they have no problems no but that's not true because then when stuff happens to you, you could think, well, they don't even relate to me. There must be something wrong with me. No, there's not anything wrong with you. <laughs> you're just facing opposition because you're trying to do something with your life. <laughs> Paul said this in Corinthians. He said, there's a great door of opportunity, but there's many adversaries. So realize the more opportunity God gives you, the more adversaries there is to stop you. I told you it's got to get better. This is not a discouraging word tonight. Realize, but the devil can't stop you. <laughs> he can try, but he can't if you won't quit. Notice Paul said there's a great door of opportunity, but there's many adversaries. Realize the more grace, the more uh, destiny, purpose that God has on your life, the more adversaries there is to stop what you're called to do. But realize, don't focus on the adversaries because they're defeated. Focus on the opportunities that God's given you. How many know the devil wants you to focus on your adversaries? He wants you to focus on all the things that are going wrong in your life right now, not focus on the opportunities that God has given you. Notice you need to keep your eyes focused on Jesus and the opportunities he's given you instead of the adversary that are trying to stop you from what you're called to do. Y'all getting something so far? The good fight. It's going to get better. Dr. Summerall said this, When I didn't quit, I won. And he said this, If you do not quit, you will win. I told you it was going to get better. Notice, when I didn't quit, I won. And he said to a group of ministers, if you do not quit, you will win. Realize this, we're talking about the good fight. And Paul said he fought the good fight. Realize this, young person. The only way you can lose this fight is if you quit. Are you hearing me? <laughs> the only way you can lose this fight is if you quit. And what Dr. Summerall said, when I didn't quit, I won. If you don't quit, you will win. The only way the devil can defeat you is if you give up and you quit. Let's look back over at 2 Timothy. Y'all still here? It's getting better as we go. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, it says, I fought the good fight. 
I have finished, notice, the race, and I have kept the faith. Notice, this was a man who was about to go to heaven because he had finished everything God had called him to do at the end of his life. And how many know you don't say just random, dumb stuff when you're about to die? You say what's most important to you. And what he's saying to Timothy is to encourage him that, Timothy, you need to fight the good fight. You need to finish the race or finish what God has called you to do, and you need to keep the faith. Notice it says, I fought the good fight. Let me clear this up before we go any further. Y'all still listening? You enjoying yourself? Okay. Is It says, I fought the good fight. And let me clear this up because you can go in one ditch or the other with this comment. Is the whole idea of I've fought the good fight because some people can take it to one extreme or the other. And they can say this, and of course we've joked around Haas about Haas about saying this, but you know, people say, how goes the battle? How goes the fight? And you know, Dr. Dufresne would always say, well, you know, I'm not in a battle, I'm not in a fight. And we know what he's saying when he says that. Okay. So we're not talking about that. And he's not talking about you physically fighting, beating people up. <laughs> okay. I fought the good fight. He's not talking about boxing. He's not talking about physically beating someone up. He's not talking about a physical fight, but he's talking about a spiritual fight. Now, we're going to explain some things tonight. So he said, I fought the good fight. So we realize it's not a physical fight, and you're not fighting people, but it is a spiritual fight. And you realize this. There is three things that oppose you in this world. It's the devil, the world, and your flesh. And that's who you're fighting against. Notice the devil opposes your demonic powers, the world, which he tries to influence, and your flesh. Those are the three things that try to fight you. And notice it's not a physical, natural boxing fight. It's a spiritual fight. And notice the only way you can lose, hear me young person, is if you quit. Now it's getting better as we go on here. Notice he says, I've fought the good fight. Notice he didn't say, I fought the fight. He said, I fought the good fight. You know why he said, I fought the good fight? Because a good fight is a fight you win. How many know if you don't win, it's not a good fight for you, is it? <laughs> you don't say when you just got the snot knocked out of you by somebody, you just got knocked out. It wasn't a good fight. There was one time a long time ago in my past life when I was at Premier Fitness playing basketball with a bunch of thugs because I was a thug myself at the time. And uh, so I was playing basketball with a bunch of thugs. And I was just Ding up this dude. Ridiculous. I mean, he was talking so much trash, and I was just shutting him down. I was like Gary Payton, the glove. I was all over him. And so this thug was, um, he was trying to do all these and one basketball moves on me, and I was just shutting him down. Defense was just ridiculous. And so he was talking trash. I might have said something. I don't know if I said something. Other people were talking. And uh, so I was there, and uh, we were playing two-on-two, two, me and another person. And so one thing happened after another, and I stole the ball out of his hand, and I turned my head for a split second, and he straight knocked me out. <laughs> straight out on the floor. Straight. I don't remember what happened for the next 20 or 30 minutes. I was out cold. And next thing I know, I was sitting in the lobby of Premier Fitness, and uh, they called the ambulance, and I was asking this person. I knew my 
name and I knew where I lived, but I kept asking them, is today Monday? <laughs> I don't know what happened, but <laughs> I asked them, is today Monday about 45 times in a row? They're like, yeah, it's Monday. Just stop asking me that question. I was like, I want to know if it's Monday right now. Tell me if it's Monday. And they're like, yeah, it's Monday. Just chill, dude. I'm like, it better be Monday. You better not be lying to me. Is it Monday or not? Notice, but hey, I went to the hospital. He did hit me really hard. I had a concussion that day because I got, I got hit. I got knocked out. Notice, he hit me when I wasn't looking. Okay, so let me get some, get some credit for this. I was turning my face, looking the opposite direction when this dude sucker punched me in the face and knocked me out. Realize, that wasn't a good fight. Was it? <laughs> it was not a good fight. And notice Paul said, I fought the good fight. Not I just fought a fight. Notice, I fought the good fight. Why? Because a good fight is a fight you win. And when Paul says, I fought the good fight, he means I fought this fight on the earth and I won. It's a good fight. Hear me, young person. This fight you, you fight is a good fight. It's a fight you win. And notice, more importantly, it's a fixed fight. You know what a fixed fight is? Is before the two boxers go in the ring, they already know who's going to win. Because somebody paid somebody money or somebody already handled the situation and they already know who's going to win the fight because it's a fixed fight. How many know the fight that we're in is a fixed fight because of Jesus? <laughs> That's why it says go get better. Because it's a good fight because we win. The only reason it's a good fight is because we win, and it's a fixed fight because of what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago. Notice, if we don't quit, we win. And if you don't quit, you win. Because it's a fixed fight, it's already been established. And we talked about this last week about the Chicago Bulls. Before they ever played the game, they knew they were going to win. You need to go into every fight or every opposition, every persecution, every suffering you face knowing that you already win because it's a fixed fight. And if you don't quit in your circumstance, you will win everything in this life because it's a good fight and it's a fixed fight because Jesus has already won the victory for you. You got to hear what I'm going to say here. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. You need to realize this because I, I told you earlier, we don't need to get in one ditch or the other. Because realize, it's a fight, but it's a fixed fight. And we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because what Jesus has done for us. He's already won the victory. And notice, if we don't quit, we receive the same victory he has. The only way the devil can defeat you is if you quit. It's if you give up. <laughs> but if you won't quit, you will win. So we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Why? Because the fight is already fixed. And it's a good fight because a good fight is won. You win. Can I get the winners to say amen tonight? Notice this. There's two options that when the enemy, the world, your flesh, you feel like knocks you down, there's, only, there's two options you have. And I really want to speak this to you, young person, tonight. Is if you feel like the devil has knocked you down, the world has knocked you down, your flesh has knocked you down, there's two options. And like I said, the only way the devil can defeat you is if you quit, if you give up, if you lay down. 
there's two options. When the devil knocks you down, you can either lie down and give up, or you can get back up and fight. There's two options. And how I many, you're not going to be pleased if you just lay down and give up. You're going to regret that decision the rest of your life. <laughs> so there's two options when the devil knocks you down. You can lie down and give up, or you can stand up and fight. How <laughs> I many know if you have Jesus living on the inside of you, you got fight on the inside of you. You don't have a, a person who's going to give up on the inside of you. <laughs> and there's something in you, young person, when the devil knocks you down, there's something in you, and it's the greater one living on the inside of you, and he wants to fight. He wants to get back up again. Notice this. In Proverbs 24, 16, you can write this down. In Proverbs 24, 16, it says, The righteous fall seven times, but then they rise again. Notice that the, the righteous fall seven times, but they rise again. It's not important that you got knocked down. It's important what you do after you got knocked down. <laughs> Some of you have already given up on the rest of your life, and you're young. You've got the rest of life, life ahead of you. Don't buy the lie of the enemy just because you fell down. You've got to stay down and give up the rest of your life. Notice it says the righteous fall seven times, but they rise again. Why do they rise again? Because they have the greater one living on the inside of them. They have the victorious one living on the inside of them. And notice the only way he can defeat you is if he can get you to quit. To lie down, to take it. I don't know about you, but I don't care how many times the devil tries to knock me down, the world tries to knock me down, I'm going to get back up. Why? Because I have the victory. And I'm not fighting for my victory. I'm fighting from my victory. You got two options, young person. Lie down and give up. Get back up and fight. Notice the righteous fall seven times, but they rise again. One person said you can't keep a covenant man down. Because <laughs> he's going to get back up. You might knock him down a bunch of times, but he's still going to get back up and he's going to win no matter what. Notice if you don't quit, you will win. Y'all get anything so far? Realize this tonight. You're victors, not victims. In this good fight, you are victors, not victims. And how do you know the devil is going to want to keep you in the mindset and the mentality of a victim? Because he realizes if he can keep you in that victim mentality... You're going to quit, you're going to give up, and you're going to lose the fight. But you need to realize going into this that you are a victor, not a victim. That you already have the victory. That you already win. That this situation or opposition that you're facing, you're going to go through it, and you're going to make it to the other side. Why? Because it's a good fight, and you win. But notice, if you go into opposition, tests, trials, whatever you want to call them, with a victim's mentality, you're not going to make it. Because there's so many Christian people that have a victim mentality, not a victor's mentality. And a victim mentality is this. When you're going through something, you're saying, why is this happening to me? God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why am I going through this? This stinks. I'm never going to get over this. I'm never going to get past this. I'm never going to recover from this. I'm never going to make it. That's a victim's mentality. And notice the devil loves it that you stay right there. 
because he can get you to quit if, he's, if he keeps you thinking in that same mindset. But realize you're a victor, not a victim. So remember that next time you're facing opposition or persecution from the enemy, don't go there in your mind because the enemy wants to keep you in your mind in a victim mentality. Keep you in that mindset. Realize you're a victor, not a victim. Let's look back over at 1 Corinthians 9. You guys get anything so far? It's a good fight. <laughs> because it's a fight you win. <laughs> Fixed fight. Now before we read in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 26, I want to say this. So we establish the, uh, the fight we're in. It's, it's not physical. We're not fighting people. But it's a spiritual fight, and we are fighting spiritual forces. Notice, we're not fighting it with our own strength. We're fighting it with the strength of the Holy Spirit. We're fighting it in His power. Notice, from victory, not for victory. Realizing we win already, but that... Realize the devil's defeated, but he's not dead. Hello, somebody. She's saying, well, why is this happening? If the devil's defeated, then why am I facing this? He's not dead. And he will take advantage of you if you have no knowledge. And he will make you think that he's running these things and he's victorious and he's stronger than you when he's really not. And so he can overcome people. Why? Because they have no knowledge when he's really defeated the whole time. <laughs> so realize this, the devil's defeated, but he's not dead. That doesn't mean he's not going to try to oppose you. But you know the worst thing the devil hates is a believer who has knowledge of what's theirs in Christ. A believer who has knowledge that they win already. A believer that has knowledge that they already overcome. A believer that has knowledge that greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. That's who the devil hates, is a believer who has knowledge of their victory in Christ. That's why the devil fights it so hard. Why do you think our pastor has faced so much op opposition? Is because he knows his victory in Christ and he doesn't want that message to get out to other people. Why? Because the enemy will be defeated by believers like that. So we realize it's not a physical fight, it's a spiritual fight. And notice it's a fight predominantly of faith. And I would say even more specifically of your words. Bishop would be proud that I just said that. Notice it's, it's predominantly a fight of faith and a fight of your words. What am I talking about? Well, when opposition, persecution comes to you, you've got to answer that opposition. And notice you're not punching physically, but how do you fight the enemy? With your words, with your faith. That's why the devil doesn't like believers that talk. He wants you to shut your mouth because he'll try to enforce his victory over you when he's defeated. So notice it's predominantly a fight of our faith and a fight of our words. Not physically, but with our words. Why? Because there's power in our tongue. There's power in the words we say. The Word of God says the, the, the power of life and death is on our tongue. Notice, and it's our choice. So if you have death in the realm of death predominantly coming in your life, it's because you chose to say words like that. But if you have life coming in your life, if you have victory coming in your life, it's because of your words. 
Can I say something else? We went on a side trail right now, but let's just go down this side trail. Is majority of us in here because we've been in a faith church for a while, in a confession church for a while, we're not necessarily saying the wrong things. We're just not saying anything. <laughs> and that doesn't work either. It's like, well, I'm not saying anything bad, but you're not saying anything at all, so you're still getting your butt whooped by the devil. <laughs> Is that the truth? It's like, well, I don't say anything bad, but you're not saying you're not saying your victory, your ability in him, you're not speaking it. And it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And if you don't say so, it won't be so. My, you just got help on that. <laughs> it's the truth. And you've heard pastor preach this many a times about faith and confession. Even though all these things already belong to us and they're already ours, notice what do we got to do? We got to have faith in it and we got to speak it out of our mouth. You are healed, right? But you won't receive healing until you have faith for it and say, thank you, Father, I receive my healing. Isn't that right? The same thing with victory and you overcoming the enemy, you've got to speak it out of your mouth. Same thing with having a sound mind. Even though in the Word says you have a sound mind, you have the mind of Christ, if you don't say it, it won't happen. When the enemy tries to come and mess with your mind, get in your thinking, get in your emotions, you've got to speak to it. Notice, because it's not a physical fight, it's a fight of faith and a fight of your words. Y'all get anything so far? 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 26 it says, therefore I run thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. Notice that I fight not as one who beats the air. Now, we said this earlier, but the only way the enemy can get you to lose is if you quit. And there's this thing that Muhammad Ali used to do. That, that's Muhammad Ali, if you didn't know that by now. Um, the greatest fighter of all time from Louisville, Kentucky. Hello, somebody. And um, Muhammad Ali, he would do this thing called the rope-a-dope. I say the rope-a-dope. <laughs> Charles, say that one more time for me. Yes, sir, Charles. The rope-a-dope. So what he did, and what did we just read? I, I don't fight uncertainly. and I, I'm not like one who just beats the air. Why? Because you're going to tie yourself out. Uh, Muhammad Ali would do this thing called the rope-a-dope. And if you ever seen Muhammad Ali move, he was smooth. He would just like, just all over the, that wasn't as pretty as what he would do. But he would just straight be like dancing around the ring when he was fighting. If you've ever watched a Muhammad Ali fight, you should look one up just for fun. Just enjoy your heritage. But Muhammad Ali, when he would fight and do the rope-a-dope, he would be just doing like for rounds and rounds and rounds. He would never swing at the guy for rounds and rounds and rounds he would just keep dancing around the ring just like, and just like the whole time just talking to him like, I'm going to whoop you, I'm going to kill you. It's, it's over. The whole time. Muhammad Ali would do that the whole entire time. And then it would be like the 10th round. And the whole time, you got to realize the whole time, it's called the rope-a-dope. So Muhammad Ali would just be dancing around the ring for like 10 rounds. And of course, the guy he's facing is annoyed that he's dancing around the ring and he's talking trash so the guy, the whole time, those 10 rounds, is swinging as hard as he can to try to knock Muhammad Ali out. But realize, because Muhammad Ali's so quick, he's never hitting him. He's just swinging. 
And by the 10th or 11th round, why Muhammad Ali would always win is because by the 10th or 11th round, the person he was facing would be so tired from swinging and notice beating the air that by the 10th or 11th round, Muhammad Ali hadn't swung one time. And so he just had to go in and just give him a couple big punches to the face. And he was out cold and Muhammad Ali would win because he had tired them out by him constantly swinging like one who hits the air. And that's why Muhammad Ali would always, well, not every time, but majority of times he would win is because the person fighting him would constantly just be swinging and he couldn't hit Muhammad Ali. He would tire him out. And so what Muhammad Ali would end up winning because he was tired and he had no more strength at the end, so he would just knock him out. Y'all still here? <laughs> and it says in Corinthians Notice, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. What did we say earlier? The devil cannot defeat you unless you quit, unless you give up. But this is his strategy. Just like Muhammad Ali, he's going to try to wear you out by you with your life and keeping you in uncertainty, it says in Corinthians. And in Daniel 7, 25, I want to read this. It says that the enemy will try to wear out the saints. The enemy's strategy is just like Muhammad Ali's strategy. He wants you to get so worn out by the end of this fight, you quit. Notice, because he can't, he's not powerful enough to just knock you out. He doesn't have that kind of strength. But he wants to be like Muhammad Ali and dance around the ring and get in your head and keep you in uncertainty and keep you frustrated and keep you uh, burnt out and keep you tired so you'll quit. Notice, because he's not strong enough to actually knock you out. And notice it says in Corinthians, notice there's a key there. I fight not like one who beats the air. Meaning a Christian should not be like one of those people who's just constantly just swinging at the devil and he's not hitting him and he's just wearing himself out. Why? Because Paul knew you'll eventually quit if you keep, keep that same attitude and mindset of you just constantly swinging and not hitting anything. And notice Daniel 7.25, it says, The enemy tries to wear out the saints. Here's another thing to think about. Since the devil can't just ride out and defeat you, he's going to try to wear you out so you'll quit. He wants to keep you in uncertainty. Notice, so you'll stop wearing out. You know, if you're uncertain about things, you start doubting stuff. And you know, I know God has spoken a lot of things to a lot of people in here. And the devil wants to keep you in uncertainty. So you'll be like one who just keeps beating the air and you're not going anywhere, you're not hitting anything because he just wants to tire you out so much that you just give up on what God has called you to do. In that verse in Daniel 7.25, it sums it up. Since he can't defeat the saints, he tries to wear out the saints. So they'll quit. Notice, because he can't make you quit. He can't defeat you. You're the only person that can quit, but he'll try to wear you out or fatigue you to the point that you'll give up. Let's look over at Matthew 11. 
Y'all are blessing me tonight. Matthew 11. You guys getting something this evening. So the fight is a good fight. And I want to say this on a very practical level. If you start sensing yourself physically getting tired, you need to rest. And I realize you're a young person. You realize, like, I don't need no rest. I don't need no sleep. Yes, you do. You're crazy. And you realize that, college students, don't you realize that when you get in college, you thank God for naps. When you're a little kid, you rebuke naps. But when you get in college and you get wisdom, you get a little bit older, you love naps because you need your rest. But I want all of you in here to be aware and not ignorant of Satan's devices or his strategies. And notice one strategy, he just wants to get you tired. And notice not just spiritually, but even physically tired. How many know when you're physically tired, you don't make good decisions? (laughs) You don't think right when you're physically tired, do you? So if you start noticing yourself get physically tired, you need to rest your body. I'm just talking just practically. Why? Because the devil wants to wear you out so you'll quit. If you start feeling yourself getting worn out by coming to church, you need to get away with Jesus. (laughs) Because realize there's a strategy, a device working against you to try to get you to start thinking that way. Man, there's just a lot of services at Church on the Rock. I'm just kind of getting worn out. I'm just burnt out. I'm tired. There's a strategy of the enemy to get you to start saying stuff like that and thinking like that. Why? Because he's trying to wear you out so you'll quit. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus speaking, it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And notice, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely heart. Notice, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Realize, if you start feeling that your so-called burden is heavy and unbearable, it's not from Jesus. Stop blaming it on him. You put on somebody else's burden, but it's not Jesus. If you start feeling like, your Christian life is a burden to you now. Your church attendance is a burden to you now. And man, this is heavy. This is strenuous. Realize it's the enemy trying to wear you out so you'll quit. And notice it's not from Jesus. Because Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But he said also, you shall find rest for your souls. Let's look over at Psalm 23. We're almost done here. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We all know it. Very familiar verse. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me, notice, to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Does that sound like a burden or does that sound like rest and refreshing? Notice, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now I want to say something about this because 
because we just talked here about not being one of those believers who are just swinging and beating the air. You're never getting anywhere. The devil wants to keep you in that place of tiredness, fatigue. Why? So he can wear you out to give up. So we said, you need to take time to physically rest your body. But a lot of people don't talk about this in church, but it's just as necessary. Is soul rest. And you need to understand the enemy's devices and strategies to try to get you in your soul to not rest. Why? Because your inward man affects your outward man. And sometimes people aren't so much overworked, but their soul is working overtime, so they physically feel tired because of their soul. And I want all of you young people to listen to this because realize your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Which, as a young person, your mind, your will, and emotions is working overtime. <laughs> of any time in your life, it's working overtime. And the devil wants to keep you fatigued, tired, worn out in your soul. Is this too deep for you guys? I'm sorry if I, if I went there too, too deep. But you need to have some soul rest. And notice Jesus said, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. And in Psalm 23, speaking about Jesus, it says, He will lead you beside the still waters. He will restore your soul. The reason I'm bringing this up is because if you start feeling in here that your emotions, that your will, that your mind is starting to get real tired, fatigued, overworked, just out of control, you need to get away with Jesus immediately. Because that is a strategy of the enemy to get you fatigued in your soul so you'll be weary and give up. And notice, when you come to Jesus, when you spend time to Jesus, with Jesus, it says he will give you rest for your soul. In Psalm 23, it says he will restore or bring it back into its rightful place, your soul. And really more than physical tiredness with young people, it's more soul tiredness and fatigue. Because you're worn out in your mind and your real emotions with everything you're facing as a young person. Can I get an amen in the house of God? Because you know you are. With your parents, with school, with life, with relationships, you know that your soul sometimes could be worn out and fatigued. And that is a plan of the enemy to wear you out so you'll quit. You need to get alone with Jesus when that starts happening. Because notice, he will give rest and restoration to your soul. And just practically, that means if you start feeling this way, you need to have some alone time somewhere. Whether you got to drive to a park, whether you got to go to the river, wherever you got to go, get alone, get away from everybody else, and get with Jesus so your soul can be restored. So your soul can be at rest. And how many know you just need some of those times where you don't need your boyfriend or girlfriend, you don't need your parents, you don't need your, your children or anybody near you. You just need Jesus. <laughs> and the older you get, the more you realize that. That the answers to life is not in other people, it's in Jesus. And you can appreciate your husband or wife, you can appreciate your parents, but they can't help you. Only Jesus can really help you. <laughs> Just practically, you need to go get alone. Take a drive, take a walk, take a scooter, whatever you got to do. <laughs> get alone with God to find rest, notice, and restoration for your souls. You ever been around somebody whose soul's at rest? It just feels good to be around them, doesn't it? 
their souls at peace. You can tell they've been walking with God and they're at rest. And you can tell their soul's been restored by God. That's the kind of person I want to be. Let's look over at 2 Corinthians. When, I'm going to just say this. This isn't just a nugget of wisdom. Chicken nugget of wisdom. Is the older you get, the more complex life gets. And <laughs> let me say this, okay? Because I don't want you to be disillusioned with your life. Because some of you guys are living in Butterflyville and, you know, you know, Hopscotchville. Y'all need to get out of there, okay? And what I'm saying is not negative whatsoever. But realize, I don't know if complex is the right word, but it gets there's more responsibilities when you get older. So you guys feel like, well, I just got a lot of pressure on my life right now. You got a lot of opposition right now. Do you now? <laughs> You're going to get older someday. That's why I'm teaching you this as a young age, so you can have this already established. So when you get older, you're not freaking out. <laughs> you already got some soul rest. So when stuff happens and opposition comes, you're settled. Because you're in faith and you know you got the victory already. But you got to settle it when you're young. And I just realized this just growing older, having a little girl, having my own house, having things like that, you realize there's a lot more responsibility and life is a lot more complex than you think it is when you're just a kid at your parents' house just hanging out and eating out of their fridge. <laughs> okay? It really is. And I know some of you don't fully believe me right now, but you will someday. <laughs> That's why you need to, these things I'm saying right now, you're just taking it for granted, but you need to realize you need to get this established right now when you're young so you'll be ready when the situations of life happen later on. If you get this established when you're young, what kind of young person or young adult can you be when you're at rest when you're young? You're physically at rest. Your soul's at rest. Your spirit's at rest because you knew you got the victory. At a young age, how far can you be along with your life? That's why I'm so passionate about what we're talking about tonight. In 2 Corinthians 12, in verse 7, last verse tonight appreciate you guys coming out 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 through 7 through 10 it says lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations a thorn in the flesh was given to me notice by a messenger of Satan Okay, just a little bit of rightly dividing the word of God. When people say they have a thorn in their flesh and it's from God, what did it just say here? A thorn in the flesh from a messenger of Satan. Okay. For all those who can read their Bible. Because some people try to say, well, the, I just got a thorn in my flesh from the Lord. <laughs> it's not from the Lord. Notice, it's a messenger of Satan. Notice, to buffet me, or that means to try to hinder me or oppose me. So Paul was being challenged. In verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it may depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. And that doesn't mean sickness or disease. That means opposition. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the last thing I want to say about this in this verse before we close tonight is in this fight, this good fight, you will feel weak. But realize Jesus is our strength. It's okay that you feel weak because realize you are weak apart from Him. You don't have the strength to win the fight and be victorious over the world, the devil, and your flesh. But because He lives in you, you now have the strength to overcome everything that comes in your life. And here's something else. A a lot of people, confession police, won't like stuff like this, but this is okay. It's okay to admit to God that you're weak. Some of you disagree with me right there. (laughs) Notice I didn't say tell your friend and just confess that over your life. It's okay to admit to God that you're weak because he already knows that. And realize until you admit to God that you're weak and you can't do it without him, then he can't give you his strength. That's why it's so important that every day you show God, you tell God your need for him in your life. Because without him, the word of God says, you can do nothing. So it's okay that you feel weak in this fight. You need to admit your weakness to him. But notice that's where he will meet you with his strength. And realize when you come to the place that says, I can't do this, that's actually a good place to be because you can't. You can't do it without him. You can't overcome in this life without Him. You can't win in this life without Him. You are weak without Him, but notice now that you're in Him, you're not without Him. So now, instead of your weakness, you have His strength. And notice the Word of God says that you can do all things through Christ now who strengthens you. You're not without Him now. You have His strength. In Isaiah 40, 29, I love this verse. You can write this down. Isaiah 40, 29, it says, He gives power, and this is for all you who feel like that you're very weak in this fight. And the devil has the upper hand because he really doesn't. He's just trying to persuade you that he does. No, he's defeated. Notice Isaiah 40, 29. It says, He gives power to the weak, and to those with no might, He increases strength. I love that verse. Notice, you need to start confessing this over your life if you've been feeling weak in this fight, this good fight. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Realize this, when you feel weak, then he can come with his strength. And he will, but you need to admit your need for him. Why? Because his grace is sufficient for you. His strength is is made perfect in your weakness. It's a good fight, young people. It's a fight that you win. It's a fixed fight. And notice, you have the victory. You're fighting from victory, not for victory. Do you guys get anything tonight? I want to read you one quote as we close here. It's a good fight. 
Notice every opposition, persecution, whatever you want to call it, there's, there's different names, different terms people use, different things that come in your life. You know, sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's emotional pressure. Whatever it is, you have the victory. You can overcome anything because Christ lives in you, and you can do all things through him who gives you strength. It's a good fight because you win. Notice John Osteen. This is a John Osteen quote. And this is actually a little poem he kind of used to recite all the time. And a lot of times he would share it in his messages when he would preach. And I know majority of you know who Joel Osteen is, but this is John Osteen, his father. So let me read this to you real quick. You listening? Okay. John Osteen, he said this, Great it is to dream the dream when you stand in youth by the starry stream. Notice this. But greater thing is to fight life through and to say in the end, the dream is true. Y'all get that. I'm going to repeat it one more time just because it's so good. He said, great it is to dream the dream when you stand in youth by the starry stream. But a greater thing, notice this, to fight life through. Because it's going to be a fight. If you want to do anything great for God, you want to fulfill your dream. A greater thing to fight life through and to say in the end, the dream is true. Would you guys get anything this evening? Well, let us pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight.